My name is Peter, a recovered alcoholic. Uh, grateful to be alive and sober and part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, first things first, congratulate everyone who celebrated. And uh, what I learned a long time ago is that anniversaries are not so much for the celebrant, although we embrace that when we do get a coin, uh, embrace it out of gratitude. Uh, it's really about uh, showing someone who's new or someone who's been bouncing in and out for a long time uh, that the sacred rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous do work, contrary to some of the belief that are out there that AA doesn't work anymore. Um, and when I said earlier about the age of miracles are still with us, they wrote that in a big book in the first edition, and it still proves to be true. Because with God, all things are possible. And what the mind wants to do is deny the existence of God, especially when uh, uh, thunderbolts hit. But sometimes we go in and we reach out to other people, and they seem to become our appointed teachers, our sponsors. And as long as we're in a place of willingness to follow directions, we get coins. We get one year, we get five years, we get ten years. And, um, you know, the first couple of years, it's, it's about us getting the coin and, and, and look at what has happened. And after a while, you realize you're taking a coin uh, just for a newcomer. Uh, quick story. Um, I got my second year birthday in AA. I was in Brooklyn. And um, I took the coin and, and we had a couple of speakers and I got to say a few things. Um, and I didn't know at the time, this guy walked into his first AA meeting ever. And he told me this uh, down the road, uh, maybe a couple of years later. And uh, he said, you know, that was the first meeting I ever walked into. And I didn't even know what was going on. There was a cake, there was coins, there was all this, you know, this uh, hoopla about people celebrating. He said, but you're about my age. And um, I thought AA was for old people. And um, he says, I saw a young guy, my age, making a two-year cake, and he says, well, maybe I can do this too. And it was just a little catalyst to get him over the fence to keep coming back. Now, I didn't know that in the time, at the time. God has a great way of keeping everything anonymous and quiet and keeping us right-sized. But that's what really anniversaries are about. Some people may scoff and mock at them, and other people may say, well, maybe me too. And I hope someone was sitting here tonight counting days and saying, I want a one-year coin. I want a five-year coin. I want a 10-year coin. I want to get up there and give a talk. Good. Use that. Your sponsor will tell you, make it quick and then sit down. But um, go for it because this is where we get well. So uh, congratulations to all. Uh, God separated me from alcohol June 23, 1988. Uh, I'm a recovered alcoholic. And if anyone's new and doesn't know what that means, follow me around. It's getting free from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body and getting free of alcoholism, the thing that accompanies this deal once we put down the drink. Because what I've learned the hard way, and I really mean that, uh, is that being separated from alcohol has little to do with being a recovered alcoholic. I'm no longer looking to be recovering anything, quite frankly. And some of the belief systems that we will hear is, I'm always going to be recovering, and if I get recovered, it doesn't mean I, mean I need AA, and that means I'm cured, and that's not what the big book is talking about. What the book talks about recover, when it says recovered, it means we've recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. I'm no longer in a place of obsession, not in a place of uh, uh, craving or, or, or compulsion, and all hinges on my relationship with God. And the thing I, I think I mentioned last week is that even though I'm separated from the substance, alcoholism goes underground and re resurfaces in other areas, and they're called food sprees and thinking sprees and sex sprees and anger sprees and fear sprees, and I'm acting out. 
and my behavior is very inappropriate to someone who claims to be on a spiritual path, but my ego will justify all inappropriate behavior and make it very appropriate because it's me and I'm a star and it's okay for me to do, but don't you do it. And we'll sponsor men, we'll sponsor women and say, make sure you do this. And as soon as they leave our house, we go do just the opposite. And that is the reemergence of the ego. The illness never went away. And if I'm still doing something, it's not old behavior. It's very current behavior. And the ego will step right in and defend it. So for me, it has been about, regardless of how long I'm sober, is about diving into this work at least once a year going through the work, dismantling the ego, hopefully, experiencing further death to self for successful living, and finally get free, free of self, free of attachments to other things. And that's the great thing we can do in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, those of us around here, while we'll look at um, unmanageability in the first step and think that applies just to the drink and the longer you're around, it really doesn't apply to a drink. I mean, it's always about the drink, but it's about other things. What's my current unmanageability look like? What am I experiencing now that's given me disease and comfort even though I'm not drinking? So I'm very grateful for the teachers who showed me the way, didn't care about ruffling feathers, didn't care so much about my feelings. And then when I got up here to get a coin into sobriety, I realized what a great gift I've been given and who can I be of service to. We come to get and stay to give. And really as messengers of God, we shouldn't be here to eat anymore, but to give away everything we've been given. And for that, I'm really grateful. So as a recovered alcoholic, hopefully we're not living on page 52 anymore and experiencing the bedevilments, the things that torment, frustrate, and harass us. But we get past that. We transcend that, living in, in, in divine order, living along the line of God's will, rather than enforcing my will on everyone and telling God what my will should be, and he's got to follow. Because I run into fear, I run into me, I run into thinking all the time when I do that. One of the things about getting on this path and really getting free is letting go absolutely. Everything I thought was me is not me. Everything I think my life should look like is not the way my life should look like because it's all dictated by one predator, and that's the thinking mind. I have no idea what's good for me. 25 years later, my life was none of my business. But it, it, it's a matter of me on my knees surrendering to this power and asking him, allow me to follow his will, not my will. And sometimes when we're on this path and we go deeper into prayer, we go deeper into meditation, we go deeper into the steps, we go deeper into God's will, what the mind thinks is, okay, all the ducks are going to be in a row. I know exactly how it's supposed to play out. I'm going to have ease and comfort because I know exactly where I'm going. And quite frankly, it's often the opposite because we're going into a place, I went into a place very often that I never touched before, I never walked before. What do I know what God's will looks like until I'm in? And it's so strange and so foreign, we can recoil and go back to doing what we want to do and claim it's God speaking to me. The path with God is sometimes a dark one. It's an uncertain one. It's really about carrying the cross and wondering, okay, I'm going in. I don't know where I'm going. And it's a sense of disease and discomfort too, which ruffles a lot of feathers when you say that, but it's just a fact. The road walking with God, we're about to turn it over in step three, doesn't mean, okay, I turned it over, everything's going to snap into place. In fact, it might feel like everything's falling apart, and it is, because it's a direct hit 
to everything that I believe how God should look, how sobriety should look, how this walk should look. Once we lock in and completely surrender, then little by slowly things start to snap into place. And the things I thought made me, I realized I want nothing to do with. The things I were attracted to, I want nothing to do with. They're no longer attracting to me. I'm not drawn to negativity. I, I kind of recoil from that. Then we get to another place when we're truly in the sunlight of the spirit. I'm not running away from negativity. I'm not drawn to negativity. Like the drink, I'm placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. And at that point, that's when we or I become of maximum service to others. Newcomers or people coming back have the street on them like I did. It's negative. It's out there talk. War stories, cutting and, 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 and lying and all of that stuff. Well, if I'm recoiling from that, how could, I, how could I sponsor you? If I'm drawn into that, I certainly have no right sponsoring you. But on this path, when we get to 10, 11, and 12, when we're truly journeymen, we're really in that. I'm placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. I'm not stepping into your tornado, which makes me that much more useful. And our book says we're supposed to be effective agents for God. The mind has other, other ideas, though. The mind wants me dead will take me back to that which is killing me. And in chapter agnostics, where we're introduced to step two, we're finding out that lack of power is my dilemma. That's what I found out right on page 45. Lack of power is my dilemma. That has been the most powerful statement for me all these years in the big book. It sums me up in a minute. I don't have power to tie my own shoelaces. Now, the ego wants no part of that. The ego wants to say, well, wait a minute. I know we have a problem with drinking, but I can handle some other stuff. I haven't let go, which means I'm going to run to serious trouble on this path. Because if I can take charge of this part of my life, I can take charge of that much of my life. And I'm, that's a form of dishonesty. And if I'm dishonest in one area of my life, I'm a liar. I'm dishonest. With God, with you, with me, and everything else. It says, this is a life which demands... And that suggests, demands rigorous honesty. Demands rigorous honesty. That's for everything. The mind has other, other ideas. Because who lives in the mind is this guy called the ego. He's got free room and board, a martini every time he wants one, a little lounge chair on the beach. He ain't leaving. And only through the power of God, when we get power, that we have no dilemma, that little by slowly this ego gets grinded into dust. And hopefully the byproduct of that is humility. Now, I stay away from guys or women who say I'm a really humble person. That means they're not humble at all. But it's in our actions that humility will speak volumes, not what we say. And it isn't even false humility with the oh, ah, shucks kind of attitude. But it's just in our walk, in our deportment. And we can only get, I can only get any kind of humility is having, by having a relationship with God. What the mind wants to do is show me what my God should look like, which means my God believes everything I believe. So if I'm resentful at you, God says, yeah, I'd be resentful too if I was you. And it goes on and on. And my mind says, well, I think God wants me to drink just to experiment once more. And I will do ridiculous things like this. So the walk with God is sometimes very uncertain. There's a great quote from, from someone, and he says... We're going on a path we never walked before. And we're taking direction we never took before. 
to experience a God we never experienced before. And the only way I'm going to be able to see the path is by the light that burns in my heart to find God. I don't know about you, but my experience has been, looking back on it now, there's always been a hunger and a thirst for something. It's inherent. It's in us. We all have like the God gene, but we get so far away from it. I was looking for God in the bottom of a bottle. I was looking God for God in, in the back of dark alleyways. I was looking for God all over the place, trying to find some sort of ease and comfort and contentment, some sort of rightness or okayness inside. Why should I turn to the power? I will find it in a bottle. And it worked. It worked for a little while. It gave me ease and comfort. I felt power. I felt invincible. This is what I've been looking for, utopia. But it turns in its flight like a boomerang. Then I can't get off the pipe. I can't get away from the syringe. I can't get away from the bar. I can't get away from whatever I'm doing. And then there's no more God. It's, it's, it's horror. It's pain. It's hell. And then we get separated via detox, jail cell treatment, or just come in AA and shake, rattle, and rolling in the chairs, but we're not much better. And one of the belief systems that we have to challenge as sponsors, telling a newcomer, being separated from the substance is one little piece. It's just a removal of the symptom. That was told to me, and I didn't like, I didn't like those words. I thought if I'm not drinking, I'm a winner. Liar. I can be more dangerous sober than drunk. When I'm drunk, just put me in the corner because I'm going to pass out in about an hour. When I come to, just have a bottle ready. But when we're sober and we're not well, we can be dangerous. Coming to AA meetings has been my experience. Coming to AA meetings my first six months. Praying. Get off, up off my knees and look like a drunk without a drink in me. Going to meetings praying, no steps. I was acting out all the time. Use your imagination. I was acting out all the time. I developed a, a, an eating disorder, binging and purging. I was trying to get away from the dirty feeling I had on the inside, and I was still searching for utopia. And I start to lose my way in Alcoholics Anonymous almost six months to the day. I almost got drunk. And only because God intervened once again because he had other plans for me. The mind will feed me despair. And when I'm in a place of despair, it's an extreme form of me. It's extreme form of self. And despair, what happens with that, my pride and ego will refuse to ask you for help. It loves it. So when I'm feeling I've lost my way, I'm, I'm, dis, I'm despair, oh my God, what am I going to do? I'm full of me, and I'm of no use to anyone, and the pride and ego will step in a way and say, do not ask for help, just stay where you are. And some of us even enjoy that kind of thing. i got some drama going on. Some of us will, will ask for help. And we start to walk through the steps. This has been my experience, going through the steps. And somewhere in there, that self-pity, that despair started to drift away. And what I felt was a purpose and why God got me sober. A purpose in AA, a purpose in my life, some direction in my life. And little by slowly turned back to the same power that I cursed. I started to lose the idea of I need things to keep me happy. A man is rich not by the things he can buy, but by the things he can live without and through adversity, we will learn to live without things that we thought we needed. And as I start to wake up little by slowly, I start to see how all my needs are really wants dressed up. 
I don't need anything. I found I don't need anything on a spirit in a spiritual life. I don't need anything on a spiritual life. Everything I need, God gave me the day I was born. Everything. And what I've done over the years was accumulate stuff that my mind and ego says we need to have, that people says you need to have. You need to have a bigger car. You need to have two big cars. You need to have a wife and a girlfriend. You need to have more money. Why are you guys laughing? That resonated with everybody. Yeah. Three guys just walked out. I, mean. I need, I want, I got to have. Why? Because it gives me a sense of me. And all of those things, I'm worshiping my idols now. I'm worshiping my money. I'm worshiping my cause. My, my self-worth is putting a, maybe a two-ton thing called a vehicle. That's me. It's full of holes. It's full of deceit. It's full of uncertainty. I don't need anything. And I speak from my own experience. I like nice things. I like nice clothes. I like to live in a nice place. I like to have money in my pocket because I know what it's like to be homeless and panhandling. But I don't, my life doesn't depend on that stuff anymore. And there was a time that it did. There was a time in early sobriety. I would see the guys, the old timers, driving up in a brand new Cadillac. I see what sobriety does. I can get a Cadillac one day. Let me work harder at sobriety. I was so delusional. Everything I need, we need, God gave us at birth to walk this path. He doesn't require much. My particular God didn't have a car and a cell phone. He wore a robe and sandals and did pretty good. And he walked. He didn't say, can you give me a lift to Bethlehem? I'm late. Can you? Right? Everything I need, I've been given by a loving God. And we're here on grace. And we experience grace out there that brings us in here. But there's a big difference between knowing I have God's grace and experience that power that gives me grace. Alcoholics Anonymous, I found from my own experience, yeah, we're going to get an education. We're going to learn stuff. You sit with the sponsor, go through this book, you're going to acquire knowledge, but knowledge is not the answer. Getting an education in Alcoholics Anonymous will not keep me sober. It's the transformation that we get to experience in Alcoholics Anonymous where the big book becomes internalized, where I be the book. I am a reflection of the information in the book because of the transformation. That can't happen by just going to an AA meeting. That can't happen by just doing a little step work here and there. That can't happen by doing one, two, and three, even four and five. Mark talked about it, not completing amends. This comes by a surrender to God, being all in with this book, and letting God and the book take me where it's going to take me, and nothing less than that. The great fact on page 25 is the goal, the spiritual transformation. Page 52 is the complete opposite of that. I have problems in personal relationships. I'm full of fear, feeling of uselessness. Pray to misery and depression. I have no idea what the next minute's going to look like. I get up at 6 o'clock. I get dressed. Uh, I break my shoelace and I go, see, it's going to be one of these days. Right? Maybe I spilled the coffee. You see what I mean? And the whole day's ruined. Because I broke a shoelace or so spilled the coffee. That's it. Day's over. It's 6 o'clock in the morning. There's traffic. Oh, you see, they're all, they're all after me. I mean, this is how we live. And then we walk into an AA meeting. He said, Joe, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm, I'm, I'm Moses tonight. Everything's good. No, you're not. I'm, dis, I'm full of disease, discomfort, irritability, full of fear. I'm full of me. 
I'm full of a few other things too, but I'm not free. I'm still experiencing bondage to self. So when our book says in chapter 10, agnostic, is God going to be everything or else he is nothing? That wasn't just a nice little statement they put in there to provoke a thought. They were dead serious. Is God going to be everything? Because if he isn't, he's nothing. And if God is in everything, I am truly nothing. I'm a drunk in AA without a drink in me, behaving like a drunk without a drink in me. I am not a power of a I'm not a, 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 a power of example. I'm a horror of example. There's an angle on everything. And the worst part is when I go home and put my head on the pillow, I don't sleep. I toss and turn, and I'm listening to the chatter of a thousand voices. Last week I talked about that image that we present for other people, and we got the image to, that we present to the voice in the head that no matter what we do, we're not right. Do you ever go buy a, maybe a new outfit? You spend a lot of money, and you put it on, you look in the mirror and it says it looks good, and the voice says, you only have one outfit. You should have a whole rack. You put on a new outfit and you think it looks pretty good, and the voice says, you're still heavy. You're still too thin. When are you going to get to the gym? You got gray hair, and it just doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. It's relentless. And what we do to this voice, this illness, this mind, is always give it a leg up. We listen to it. We argue with it. We debate with it. We agree with it, and it gets juice. We put steroids into our mind. Anyone ever tells me they don't believe in God, I say, oh, yes, you do. You've been listening to and worshiping your mind for the longest time. That is your God. That is your Buddha, your Allah, your Jesus, the mind. And the quicker I got at a gut level, my mind is my predator. My mind is my enemy. My mind is my Satan, my demons, eyeball to eyeball, that I start to walk away. And then when we start to walk away, and the only way we can do that is through spiritual fitness, we get entertained. We have a sitcom 24-7 going on ahead. Right? Just watch some of the stuff that the mind presents to you. It's a riot. And the only difference is because we can't control what thoughts are coming in. The difference between then and now is when the thoughts come in, I say, okay, thanks for sharing. Have a nice day. And I keep moving. Or I'll speak to someone. You've got to see what's going on. i got some fear going on. Let me share this with you. I'll write some inventory. Okay, God, here it goes. It's coming in waves. Keep me safe and protected. Let me put on the armor, your armor, to keep me away from this. Because lack of power is my dilemma. With power, no dilemma. Something about experiencing some humility. I've watched people do this. It seems like these humble folks expect nothing and gain the world. And the folks who are always about them, the greedy man and woman, the one who wants, tries to go for everything, and at the end of the day has nothing. They gain the world and lose the soul. And the spiritual path is about feeding the soul, getting my soul food. Through acts of kindness, our book says we must act the good Samaritan every day. A kindly act once in a while isn't enough. And keep it quiet when you do. You know how we are. I'll go feed the homeless and share about it at every meeting I go to. <laughs> Just be still. He knows. She knows. It knows. Whatever you want to call your God. They know what's going on. In fact, who gave me the idea to go feed the homeless? Me? No. And all the good things that come to me, give credit to my creator. And all the screw-ups, I will take the hit for. Because that's me in action. And when we fall short, when I would fall short, when I fall short now, 
All I'm doing is looking at my brokenness and how I would really operate out there without this power. Constantly screwing up, constantly in fear, always having to say I'm sorry because I insist on running the show. It's my own brokenness. <clears throat> there, our book says we will outgrow fear based on my relationship with God. So if my book promises me that I'll outgrow fear. My question is this. Why am I sitting in an AA meeting still gripped in fear? And fear is always pointing to the future. Fear is never now. Fear is never in the past. It's always when this happens, a minute from now, an hour from now, a year from now. Why do I, why do I sit in fear in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous when I have God and 12 steps in a big book? Get to a place where we start to knowing that we're known by our creator. And when that transition happens, fear might show up, but I don't have to open up the door and let him in. Fear shows up, okay, God, walk me through this. And I take God's hand and I go. And I remember, I walk with my creator. The breath going through me is my God breathing through me. The breath going through you is your God breathing through you. Now, the ego doesn't want to hear this. It's all, the ego says, oh, come on, that's a little out there. No, it is not. Because I didn't plug into a 9-volt battery this morning, get a heartbeat, and stop breathing. And some of the things that happened to us on this path, which we really can't explain adequately with words, we don't even know how to begin to explain some of the God stories that we have, but they make absolutely no sense, like God does, to a thinking mind. It frustrates the mind, it frustrates the ego, but we know it happens. And experientially, can we talk about what it's like living in the sunlight of the spirit as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous? Or is that something we haven't gotten there yet? If we're sober 90 days, how come? If we're sober 60 days, how come? You read our history, these guys were getting lit up in a week. But we hang around Alcoholics Anonymous and we work on this thing called 90 meetings in 90 days. Don't get me started. When we have the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is a guaranteed route from me to get to God. And then I find out there was no proximity between me and God anyway. There is no proximity between us and God. The mind creates a distance. The mind creates proximity. It's closer to me than my own breath. All I need to do is get things out of the way. The process of recovery is removal, never addition. It's subtraction, never addition. The more I lose, the more God I have. The more I get, the less God I got. And if I'm full of me, I'm worshiping me and not God. So we look at the 12 steps on the front end. And if we knew, I did the same thing. It's about the drink. Got to get away from the drink, and that's good. That's a catalyst to move me through. But what about those of us who've been around here a little while? We would, like I said, it's always about the drink, but we got some life situations. We got stuff going on, and the deeper we go, we uncover more. We have financial insecurity, relationship insecurity, me insecurity, everything. You read the headlines now, any minute you're waiting for the world to just to go boom. Everyone hates each other. Everyone's killing each other. I'm right. You're right. He's wrong. I mean, it's bizarre. How do I navigate through this? Ah, simple. It's a narrow road and a very narrow gate that I have to walk. 
most people, even in AA, and allow me just kind of a soapbox here, are going to walk on a really wide road and pass through a really wide gate because it's simple. It's easy. I have instant gratification and the hangover next day, and I'll just get back on a horse and do it again because I'm full of disease and discomfort. And this path says, let go of everything and walk a very narrow road to a very narrow gate if you really want to experience utopia here and now. I'm guaranteed it when I move from here. But what about now? How am I going to navigate now? And the only one that's going to give me that ability is my God, which is alcoholic synonymous in a nutshell, about taking people like us, the broken toys, the lost children, back to God, where we can never do the ordinary things, but we somehow accomplish extraordinary things. My life makes absolutely no sense. What I do for a living, my position at my job, the money I make, the friends that are around me, that invited, they just came into my life. I didn't try to buddy up to no one. My friend Art just showed up. That's a whole God story. He's so close to me. He's like a brother to me. It makes no sense. That I even, we enjoy being around each other. How we met is a whole God story. But he was awake enough, I was awake enough to see the invitation. Living along the line of God's will transcends what I normally do. And the mind is not my God anymore. And life problems are just situations. My mind can't see down the road. God can. How often have we had something happen to us? It's happened to me. We go, oh no, I don't like this. And we get upset and we'll cry about it. Fast forward six months and we see the lesson learned in that. Or we do this. I've done this a million times. It's a good thing it didn't work out the way I wanted it to. Because it's pretty cool right now. Maybe four years ago, I was working for a place down in Texas. 70, 80 hour weeks, seven days a week, pretty much built the place from the inside, filled the place just on my name. They didn't get one referral other than my name. 40 beds, 30 were my name, referrals by me. Developed a curriculum, did everything. Working nonstop. I was living the dream. I was doing what I love to do for a living and getting paid for it. Well, greed and other agendas got in the owner's way and they got rid of me like I was a bad habit. Just kicked me out the door. And I remember sitting in, uh, down by the Jersey Shore, sitting outside of a little diner on a, like a park bench. And uh, I remember sitting there going, I'm back on a park bench. And I'm weeping. And people are walking by saying, what's wrong with this guy? Our tears are rolling down my cheeks because I don't know what I'm going to do. Who's going to hire me at my age to do what I do? Where am I going to get a job? And I says, you've left me again. I can't make this pass because I can't, I can't do this. This is way too painful. I have huge financial insecurity, jobs insecure. I don't know where I'm going. And I was upset. And I got upset with God. And I tried to bargain with God. And I called my sponsor. And we did some step work. And I remembered my life was none of my business. And it was letting go once again. He was one of my many, any lens. Are you going to trust me or not? Are you going to let go or still try to steer with one hand? You need to let go. And that was scary as hell. And that's where I learned when we say in AA, the leap of faith, there is no such thing as a leap of faith. 
leap of faith because I'm scared to death that I'm going to fall. That's why it feels like a leap of faith. God's given me the, 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 the elements to move, the catalyst in me to move. He's in the middle of the walk and he's on the other side. There is no leap of faith. It's just a change. Am I going to trust God? So I'm out of work. I have a little bit of money saved, but that's running out quick. What do I do? About two months later, I get a call from my friend Art. How about coming down to Florida and do what you do? And it seemed like overnight we put the key in the door and now I live in Florida. And God knew for the longest time I've been looking to move to Florida since I'm a kid. I love Florida. I love the beach. I love the warm weather. I just, it's pretty. I couldn't deal with the Northeast anymore. It's kind of, I'm from the Northeast. How are you doing? Why? Are you writing a book? What do you want to know? You know? I just said hello. Marion came to Jersey with me for the first time, right? She said, I'm going downstairs into the lobby. She said, why? She said, I want to hear New Jersey people talk. <laughs> so fast forward, and here I am working where I love to work, living where I love to live. My point is, we can't see the future. Are we going to trust God or not? And now that it's all said and done, I realize that the, the shutting of the doors for me in Texas was God's blessing. It was a great thing. How much longer at my age can I work 60, 70, 80 hours a week? I would have died on the job, and I was not happy after a while living in this little one-horse town in Texas with drug cartels all over the place. God says, enough. Put you in Florida. And I look back and says, I'm glad I made that decision to move to Florida. still spilling my drinks okay so step three says we made a decision to turn our will and life over to care of God as we understood him as we heard many times in meetings it's just a decision it doesn't mean I've done anything a decision means like hey I want to get in shape I want to go to the gym and I never get off the couch I haven't done anything I need to get off the couch, go to the gym, and then I get, you know, pay a million dollars for some membership. I hire a trainer. I get all the right clothes. I get the big bottle of water. You know those guys walk around, the, the water bottle guys? I, I spend a lot of time in the mirror. I buy two shirt, T-shirts that are three sizes too small, right? And I walk around the gym. And if you're anything like me, I look for an ashtray on the treadmill. I mean, it's, you know. But I haven't done anything. What do I need to do is go break a sweat. And little by slowly, I start to see results. In vision for you, it says patience, willingness, and labor. Labor is work. So decision in three is just a decision to get to that power, to experience permanent sobriety. And there's some conditions and considerations in our third step. Leading up to it, it says this. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. The path of step three into four through nine. Fail at what? Sobriety and God consciousness. Rarely. Now, the myth is that Bill wanted to change that word to never. That's not true. Bill didn't want to say never because that would set us up for a lot of controversy. Because people do fail. People do get drunk. It says those who do not recover our people cannot or will not completely give themselves to a simple program. Am I in a place of completely giving myself to this? Completely. Means completely. 
means completely. What they're doing is setting me up to take step three, to turn my, my, my thinking and my actions over to a God that I don't even know yet. What an order. On page 60, it says, we were alcoholic and cannot manage our own life. My sponsor showed me how to read it this way. Drunk or sober, I'm alcoholic and cannot manage my own life. Drunk or sober, that probably no human power could relieve me of my alcoholism. Drunk or sober. And God could and would if he was sought. What am I doing to experience this power? Simple things like going to an AA meeting and denying God because it's not popular at that meeting. Or become a religious zealot or big book guy or a big book thumper or worse words or he's a religious fanatic in an AA meeting. When we study our history, this looked like a Christian movement. They made no bones about it. This is We're reading right out of scripture, guys. But we will go to AA and not talk about God in a meeting, not even talk about God over a cup of coffee, and then go hit our knees and surrender to the God we just denied. There's something wrong with this relationship. It's like being married to someone but embarrassed to introduce them to someone. That marriage is in trouble. That makes sense? What we ought to be in AA is a pep rally for the power of God and shouting God from the rooftops. Because when it hits the fan, I'm going right to him anyway, so let me tell you about it, what it's done for me. Let me bear witness for you, which is part of what we do in step three. My Lord, okay. Am I convinced that my life run on self-will can hardly be a success? And all I have to do is look at my life in the past, experientially, based on what I've been doing. Has my life been successful? No. So I showed up to my sponsor. He had me write out the third step prayer word for word and write out my interpretation of what the third step prayer was saying. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as you want. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties. Victory over them, bear witness to you. Let me be living proof for others that this power works. Am I willing to do this? When I wrote it out in my language, it made some sense. And we held hands, got on our knees and did the third step prayer and immediately went into step four. Growth doesn't occur until I step into the unknown, which is step three, which is four through nine. Real spiritual growth doesn't occur until I step into the unknown. Regardless if I'm doing the work the first time or the 20th time. It's new territory. I'm going from what I know to a place I don't know. I need to be willing to go to any lengths, the many, any lengths. I ask guys, are you willing to go to any lengths? And they go, ah, that means no. (laughs) Well, what do you mean by any lengths? So your ego and mine is still kind of shaping this path. I can't do that. And my question is always this, as it was asked to me, based on your life and you running the show, how's that been working for you so far? Anytime you start to drive, how's that working out for you? Anytime you make a decision to do something on your own, how's that working out for you? The quality of my life at this moment depends upon my relationship with God. The amount of presence I have at this moment depends upon my relationship with God. The breath I take depends upon God. And me staying away from a drink or any other non-conference approved dry goods depends upon my relationship with God. Because on my own, I'm in serious trouble. That's my brokenness. And I never, ever want to serve my mind again. It'll serve me 
and I will always serve God. That's how I got here tonight. I'm out of time. Thank you.